You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. On December 7th of 1941, at around 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning, the Japanese Imperial Fleet attacked Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, thus propelling the United States to enter into World War II. The entire nation responded, from the men and women who signed up to join the military to serve, work, and fight overseas, as well as here, but also the families and friends uh, that stayed here. Uh, the whole nation responded. Many went to work on, far- on farms or into factories or into plants uh, to help further the war efforts. They bought war bonds to finance it. Everybody contributed in some way, form, or fashion by either sending somebody or working here at home. Rationed food, rationed gasoline, rationed materials. Um, I understand, obviously, I didn't live during this time, but even just finding red meat could have been very difficult uh, during that time because everything was used. People were choosing to live in an altered lifestyle, choosing a wartime mentality or lifestyle, if you will, in order to help the cause, to help the efforts of the war. In our text this morning, Paul is telling us as believers originally to the young church in Colossae, that we too should alter and live a different lifestyle in this world that we are a part of and live in. See, the Colossians were coming out of a very secular lifestyle where it was very common and normal to practice sexual immorality in the temples and worshiping false gods, to get as much as you can for yourself in, with greed and and to speak ill of other people, and it didn't matter what you said or how you said it. And they're, they're new converts, and he's wanting to encourage them to take on this wartime mentality and lifestyle, to put away the old earthly nature, to make war against it, to willingly forego the so-called comforts and conveniences of living like the world around them. If you will, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 5 through 10 this morning. And as you're turning there, if you're willing and wouldn't mind, would you stand with me while we read our text together? It'll be on the screen behind me. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Starting in verse 5, Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all of falling, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image 
of your creator. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. As Paul explained exactly what it means to believe and live out the theology of Christ being supreme in the first two chapters of this letter, as we mentioned last week in chapter 3, he turns the corner and starts specifically listing the practical applications of living out Christ as supreme in your life. And this morning, specifically what those attributes of our earthly nature look like and what our response to them should be. Graciously, God inspired Paul to write this letter so that there would be no mistake of what the fruit of living in sin and disobedience would look like. Now, the first word of verse 5, as I'm sure you noticed, was therefore. And again, like we talked about last week, that should cause us to say, hey, what was there before this? What, is be, what was said before what we are about to look at? So, therefore, let's do a quick review of verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, those who have been raised with Christ or those who have trusted and received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are to seek the things above with our intellect, our minds. We looked at the Greek word there in the, in the reference there and it implying that it's the intellectual part of seeking the things above. And then we also explored from Philippians 4.8 how those things above are more, that we're supposed to look at those things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, morally excellent, or praiseworthy. And that there is nothing more so than Christ in all of those things. There is no one or anything more pure, lovely, true, just, pure than Christ. And then he also instructed us to set our minds on things above, that being above, again, being Christ, but that the the word used for setting our minds on things above, the implication there in the Greek is that it's our hearts or it's our emotions. That God created us with our minds and our hearts or emotions, and he wants us to use both when we seek him. If we only seek him with our minds, then our relationship's going to be very stale. It's, there's not going to be the passion that could drive us to do things or to serve him when things get tough or hard. On the flip side, if we only serve him with our emotions, when things don't feel right, we fall away. Because we don't have the knowledge giving us a foundation or anchoring us into the truth of his word. To where we know that when life feels like it's over and the waves of loss and pain and grief are drowning us, we can still hold true to the anchor of our knowledge that God is good that he is sovereign, that he has a plan and the purpose. And at the end of the all, it all works out for his glory and our good. So we're to seek him with our mind as well as our heart and our emotions. Now moving on to verse 5, this morning's text. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Now Paul didn't say, hey, if you feel like it or maybe set it aside. He said, Put it to death. That's not a passive term here. This is not a, if you get around to it, or a complacent thing. This is, no, kill it. Go kill it. Like that raccoon that keeps taking your chickens. Or the coyotes that take out your baby calves. Or whatever. No, kill it. Put it to death. 
your earthly nature, kill it. And specifically, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which all of this is idolatry. Popular Christian hip-hop artist Tadashi even wrote a song about this to exhort his listeners, and he entitled it, Make War, which is the title of our message today. One line in it, he says, I make war, I beat my flesh to the death every breath. That was for you, young people. You're welcome. Old people, look them up later. It'll probably drive you nuts, but the, the lyrics are good. And the point is, we are to put to death to make war against that which belongs to our earthly nature. You see, this is, this is a direct order from the one who died for us. This is a direct order from the one who created us and knit us together in our mother's wombs. This is a direct order from the one who knows what's best for us, more than we know, who has a plan and a purpose. We are to greatly alter our choices in our life to forego the entertainment, potential conveniences, and potential comfort that we need to in order to put to death our earthly nature. All so that we can more fully love and serve our Savior. Now Paul labels all this as idolatry. And idolatry is anything that takes the place of what God should be in our life. Okay, so idolatry could even be our spouse. If we put our spouse above our relationship with Christ, idolatry could be our kids. Both are great things. Both are important things to love and invest in. But they could be idols compared to our relationship with Christ. And Paul is saying that sexual immorality and greed are idols in our life. Now, the first thing that Paul lists in this grouping here of the things of the earthly nature is sexual immorality. And then it's almost like you can put parentheses around impurity, lust, and evil desire. It's like Paul's saying, hey, sexual immorality, yeah, that's prostitution with the temple prostitutes back then. That's what others can see and know about. But then he says, and it also includes impurity, lust, and evil desire. In other words, what's going on in our hearts and in our minds can also be sexual immorality. Now to better establish what I mean and what God means when he says sexual morality, let me first explain the opposite of it, sexual purity. Does that term maybe even feel a little foreign to you? Like sex and pure in the same same term, the same sentence? Is that even possible? Well, sin has taken what God made as pure and good and corrupted it in the world that we live in. Did you know that God made sex? Have you stopped and thought about that and pondered that? He made it as a gift, as a good thing for a husband and wife to enjoy within the confines of their marriage to each other, a man and a woman married to each other. It's a gift. It's a gift to serve each other in to honor each other in, 
to never demand from the other. It is a gift to even glorify God with as we serve our spouse in this. Now, the world is all about having this most satisfying, fulfilling sex life. And I'm telling you right now, this is it. If you want to experience it, you can only have it within the confines of a marriage where you serve and love and honor your spouse in this way. Any variation of this is sexual immorality, whether an action, impurity, lust, or evil desires. So taking that which God created as a gift and distorting it for selfish gain and selfish pleasure. Why is this? Well, talking about, say, a heterosexual couple being together before they're married, it is one of them or both of them taking something from the other without being willing to make the commitment, the covenantal commitment of marriage. So saying, I want to take the most intimate thing that you can give me from you. I want to take that from you. I want to receive that. And I am not willing to covenantally commit to you with my life to love and serve and honor you in this marriage. It is a distortion of the gift that God has given. It's a, I like how you make me feel, but I'm willing to love you as Christ calls me to love you in Genesis 2 and 1 Corinthians 13 and in Ephesians 5. See, marriage is one of the two divine institutions that God established and our world treats it like what used to be just a, a dating relationship. It's like, well, we'll get, we'll get married and then we can technically have sex, but then if it doesn't work out, we can just, meh. Quick and cheap divorce, as the billboard says in Yosho. It's, it's torpedoing the divine institution that God made to give us, to glorify Him with. And when we step out of God's will and disregard the gift of sex that God created it to be, the pain, chaos, and heartache of the consequences of sin will occur. Guaranteed. Think about it. We're all guilty of this in one form or fashion or another, either in thought, heart, or in deed. We have all sinned when it comes to sexual immorality at some point in our life. And we've all felt the guilt, we've felt the shame, we've dealt with the consequences of those or are currently dealing with them. Praise God, though. His mercy is far more than our sins. And He is faithful to redeem that which we have destroyed with our sin when we humbly repent and move towards obedience. Now you're like, Matt, what... Really, what is sexual immorality? What does all of that include? And if you're, if you're a list taker and if you're, you're like, well, maybe what I'm doing isn't um, 
let me make sure you know what I mean when I'm saying it. It's fantasizing or desiring anyone other than your spouse in a way that has to do with sex. It's physical affection involving any intimate areas between a man and a woman who are not married to each other. Engagement does not count. God is very specific in this. They must be married. Homosexuality or distortion of one's God-given gender are also considered sexual immorality. Pornography, music, books, or speech that encourages sexual behavior or devaluing sex as a recreational pastime are also considered sexually immoral. Any and all sexual harassment or abuse, verbally or physically, is absolutely, horrendously, sexual immorality. I believe that one could even argue from other texts that even dressing to draw attention to your physical body could be considered sexual immorality. Is it okay to look nice? Absolutely. But what is it we're trying to draw attention to? That we look nice today or certain areas of our body? 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that we need to flee sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says to keep away. <laughs> Kill it, flee, keep away. These are some of the strongest terms used in our lives specifically towards sexual immorality. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man embrace fire or woman and his clothes not be burned? Equating it to that when we dabble in this, we are playing with fire. And I know most of the guys in this room have one time or another played with fire a little bit, right? Maybe singed some hairs, some eyebrows, whatever. It's the same thing when we mess around with this outside of the gift that God has created it to be. We will get burned. And yet, yet we watch shows and movies that desensitize and entice us. We listen to music and read books that tell us it's love when you have sex outside of marriage. And that's the only way you can prove it. I'm actually here to tell you that it's not love at all. It's not love how God defines it. Unlike a physical war, the war we wage against our earthly nature of sexual immorality is fought within our hearts and our minds. Yes, there are good external measures that we can take, such as if you need to, throw out the TV, turn off the internet, switch to a flip phone, or use software like Covenant Eyes, or break up with that person. But ultimately, we have to understand more about ourselves and turn to that which is far more pleasurable than even sex that is pure and good within the confines of marriage. And that's Christ. And I'm not talking about some weird erotic thing here. I'm talking about how the eternal pleasures of knowing Christ is far greater 
and surpasses that which anything we could ever experience here on earth is. John Piper says this, we, we conquer the destructive and deceitful pleasures of sexual immorality with the supremely superior pleasures of knowing Christ. That's how you beat it. You can't just try to turn from something without turning to something greater. Otherwise, you're going to go back to it time and time again. You have to turn to that which is greater, and that is Christ. If you live with current unwanted sexual desires, you feel helpless in breaking the cycle of addiction that can be evolved in that, I first off recommend professional counseling. And that second, one of the best resources that I have come across is a book written by Jay Stringer. It's called Unwanted, How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing. And he is a biblical Christian counselor that specifically works with people who struggle with sexual addiction. And at the end of the day, he also concurs in his experience from his personal past in it to the people he works with today. That as he seeks and pursues Christ and comes to understand his own brokenness and emotions, then and only then can you break this addiction and this cycle. You see, because when we take this gift that God's given us, it's, it's like today at the end of our service when we have our fellowship meal, we would, we would choose to not eat and go through the line and instead wait till our plates were scraped off into the trash can and then eat out of that. Or lick the stains and crumbs off the floor. You might get a little flavor. It might actually taste good, but come on, Really? That's disgusting. I have helped clean lots of fellowship mills, and it's nasty. Why would you want to eat out of the trash when you can have the gourmet meal that God's prepared and given you? Believers, our body is not our own. It was bought with a price, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6.20. And if we truly love Christ, we will love the things that He loves, which includes submitting our sexuality to Him. If we are not married, to abstain, both in our minds and with our bodies. If we are married, to serve our spouse in only them with both our minds and our bodies. If we have same-sex attraction, we are to abstain because Christ paid the price for your body and it is in your best that you abstain. Someday, maybe you never get married 
Maybe you end your time here on earth as a virgin. Praise God. I can promise you what you will experience in heaven will far surpass the most perfect and intimate and best husband and wife relationship here on earth. You are not missing out. The next thing that Paul lists is greed. Interesting that he groups it in with sexual immorality as I believe that most of that temptation is fueled by greed. It's money and power that fuels that industry. Greed can be summarized with covetousness, aggression, or desire for advantage. Now someone who is considered poor by our society can be just as greedy as someone who is considered by that is wealthy by our society, has nothing to do with your bank account or your possessions. It is actually just the opposite of being content. Now, to be contented, to be satisfied with what you have through faith in God's sovereignty and provision. It does not mean that we cannot have goals or pursue things like saving for retirement or anything like that, but that these goals should never distract or deter us from our primary mission of loving God and loving others. How do you know if you're greedy? Well, Scripture's a great place to look. Scripture says that we could be greedy if we're known to stir up conflict because we're not putting others first. It's about our wants and our desires, and so we're definitely not peacemakers if we're greedy. We never have enough. We're not content. We are unable or unwilling to give. Even if all we can truly give is some change, and I'm not trying to just bolster our offering, I'm more considered, I'm more passionate about your life before Christ and obeying Him. But even if all it is is that we can give us some change, it's far more about our heart than the amount. If we take credit for who we are and what we have, rather than giving God the credit, greediness is all about us rather than Christ. Or if we have a hard time parting with things, maybe we have excess. How can we use that to bless others? Perhaps we are apathetic or insensitive towards others in their situation. You see, we must slay sexual immorality and greed. We must put it to death, no matter the cost or sweat or tears it takes. Why? Paul tells us why in verse 6. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. So before Christ, you walked in this. Why would you go back? Because of these things, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. Throughout the Old Testament, the most severe punishments that God inflicted upon his people was due to idolatry, especially and specifically idolatry with sexual morality and greed. Idolatry is a direct assault on the glory and goodness of God. It replaces the worship of our merciful creator with worshiping something that he created. Similarly to if a wife made an extravagant meal for her husband and the husband worshiped the meal and thanked it 
and gave it all the glory and credit instead of his wife who made it for him. That makes us snicker a little bit and seems ridiculous, but it's what we do when we put these things above Christ and choose to ignore what his best is for us. Now today we don't have the Bible to show us direct results of what our sins of idolatry and sexual morality and greed can cause, but we can see by opening our eyes and turning on the news how sexually transmitted diseases are rampant, how abortion and broken families are all around us, not to mention the orphan epidemic, how women are degraded, children are abused, not to mention the sex slave industry. All are negative results of sexual morality and for greed and for money, power that drives it. Verses 8 through 10, first part of 10. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self. So Paul's not even, not saying that, hey, if you've got issues with sex and greed, uh, sorry, it actually includes what we say too and even our attitudes. The phrasing here is first a taking off of those sins, of those bad attitudes and those immoral speeches to dispose of those things, never to be worn again. <clears throat> a story from my childhood. As a young boy, I had a friend that lived on a chicken farm. And one of my favorite things to do was just go to his house and spend the night. And I even loved helping him in the chicken houses. And, you know, his chores were to go and pick up the dead chickens. And if there were lame ones, then, well, we got to get creative in how we disposed of them and things like that. And, and always had a great time there. And his mom would, she was... Um, they were from German, Germany. They were immigrants from Germany, and she was an incredible cook. Everything was homemade, the bread, the chocolate cake, everything. And so I just loved it out there. And plus, outside, they had four-wheelers and things. Well, it rained all night on one occasion that we were there, and, and we got up to really early to do the chores and stuff, and, and we noticed this massive mud puddle. And we're like, dude, we got to ride our bikes for this. And... Uh, I mean, you know, it's, of course, we're boys. That's what you do. So uh, we were just plotting and planning how we we're going to ride through it, what angle we were going to take. Because, I mean, we didn't honestly know how deep it got in the middle. Um, I had no idea. He had a little bit of an idea because, you know, he, would, he knew what the land looked like before it rained. Well, what we failed to realize and notice is that this puddle was downhill from a couple of the chicken houses. And then the other thing we failed to notice is that one of those chick houses was empty of birds and they had just scraped it from the excess, we'll just call it fertilizer, and had piled it up right above where this massive puddle was. Well, I'm mostly a city boy at this point and so uh, I guess I still am in some ways, but I didn't think twice about it. I could tell he was hesitating and I'm like, well, I'll go first. And so I just take off on my bike. And so, you know, I'm, I don't know how old I was. The puddle seemed like it was at least as big as this platform. And, you know, today if I saw it, maybe it was like from here over. I don't know. But I got halfway through. And I was bogging down. Because it was getting up to my knees as I'm pedaling. 
And if you ever tried to ride a bike through high water, you know what I'm talking about. You just, you lose momentum, you lose strength and inertia, and pretty soon you're just stopped. And my friend just starts laughing because he knows what's coming next, and then I'm just like, <laughs> and I get out, and I'm just head to toe, and he's like, you do realize what's in that water? And I'm like, well, I'm already in it now. Let's keep going. And he's like, okay. <laughs> so we rode through this thing for I don't know how long. And eventually we got to where we could make it all the way through without bogging down. And we were so proud of ourselves. And we get back to the house and his mom saw us coming. Probably smelled us coming. And uh, she's like, no, you're not even coming within 20 feet of my house. Forget it. And she's like, you're going to stand out here in the yard. And his sisters are inside. And she's like, you're stripping down naked. And I'm going to hose you off right here in the middle of the yard. So his sisters are laughing at us. And the window's upstairs. We're out there, you know, <laughs> trying to stay covered up. And she's just hosing us down. And those clothes were discarded forever, <laughs> forevermore. <laughs> they were gone. Though that's a funny story. That's basically what Paul is saying about our bad attitudes and our words. To take them off. They're ruined. They're not recoverable. Throw them away. Never to be put on again. And those attitudes that he references are anger. And not to be confused with righteous anger that God displays and shows us, but our own selfish anger. I didn't get my way. I didn't get what I wanted. This doesn't feel fair. Me, me, me. Anger that leads to sinful actions or revenge. Wrath. Again, not God's wrath, but man's. It's a boiling up. It's described as a boiling up and over. A rage and out of control. Malice. It's a viciousness of the mind. It's someone who plans evil towards somebody else and delights in the outcome. Do any of these simple attitudes affect you? Take them off. Put them away. Set your mind on Christ who is above. Set your heart on Christ who is inside you if you know him. We also are to take off and dispose of the earthly part of our nature that is our sinful speech, the slander, where we defame somebody else's character. And it seems like in today's world that, hey, as long as you do it online, it doesn't count. If I make fun of another people group or a culture, if I make fun of or talk bad about a politician or somebody else who seems to have a different or, in our mind, an idiotic point of view, guess what? That's sin. It counts online, too. Filthy language, foul or abusive words, cursing, name-calling. On a side note, adults and parents, there is never, never a time or place to call children a name, whether in joking or because you mean it. There is never a time or place 
That also is a sin. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Do we want to tear down the next generation or build them up? We are their first example of Christ. So do we want to show them that Christ calls them names when they make a mistake? Or do we want to show, him the, show them the grace and love that he shows us? Kids, same back at your parents. Lying, it's almost like that's just an accepted part of our culture anymore, just to lie. God takes this very seriously. It goes directly against loving one another. There are occasions in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, where a man and woman who lied were killed on the spot. God takes this very seriously. Believers, how can we love our Savior and our Creator and love that which He loves if we continue on in these things of the earthly nature, sexual immorality, greed, sinful attitudes and speech? We can't. Do you feel overwhelmed at this point? As I don't have to ask for a show of hands to know that we're all guilty of all of this in some form or fashion. I'm the biggest hypocrite in the room this morning because I've got to tell you about it. (laughs) We should feel overwhelmed. We should feel like this is impossible to do because it is on our own. But it is not impossible for Christ who lives in us if we've trusted him as our Lord and Savior. The solution is verse 10, the second part of verse 10. We have put on the new self. You, you, we are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of creator. Think about your phone or your computer that just keeps refreshing itself. And sometimes this can be very annoying if you're trying to look up something or whatever, it just keeps refreshing. But it's exactly what our Christian lives need. To keep being refreshed and renewed in Christ. The direct result of seeking him with our minds in his word and with our hearts, our prayer and our actions. And again, as we covered last week, because our tendency, if we're passive in this, is that we're going to default to our old programming. We're going to default to that earthly nature, that sinful self. All authentic believers are made new, complete with new sensitivities to sins and the things of the world. And we can choose to just blow right through those sensitivities and harden our hearts to them yet again. But we are renewed by seeking Christ. This takes daily, consistent, intentional choices. And I won't lie to you, it's hard work. It's choosing Him when you first wake up instead of your phone. It's choosing him at the end of the day instead of your phone. It's choosing him in the car while you're driving 
instead of whatever's on the radio. We definitely shouldn't be on our phones, right? The reward, the supremely superior pleasures of knowing Christ. Bonus, we avoid the wrath of God. (laughs) I'd like to close with three things that, practical things that we can do today, starting today. That's the great thing about God's grace. It's fresh, it's new every day for us. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, even what you did before you came this morning. The first one is this, to confess and repent to Christ. Start with him, because ultimately our sin is against him. We should meditate and feel the weight, meditate on and feel the weight of our sin. The wages of our sin is death. The paycheck we receive when we sin is death. Who died for you, believer? The Son of God. The Son of God put his life on the line for our sin of a white lie, of a second glance at an attractive person walking by, of that late night show on the TV, of that movie you chose to watch, of that action you chose to participate in or do. So we should confess and repent to him. Second, we should confess to another believer. Yeah, we should. Because when we keep things hidden in secret, We're never going to get past them or over them. But when we shed light on it, it comes to light. We realize we're not alone. We realize there can be help. And I'm not just saying just get out there on social media and broadcast it. I am saying that it be a safe person. But we should confess our sins to one another. If we're serious about moving past them, it says so in James 5.16, to shed light on our sins by confessing them one to another. Galatians 6.2 talks about bearing each other's burdens. Again, we're all guilty in here of one of these or more or all. No sin that you've committed should surprise any of us. Because no one needs the gospel and the saving power of Jesus Christ and each of us do as individuals, more. And then we need to take on a wartime mentality and lifestyle. We need to get serious about this. I know guys who've switched to flip phones. I know people who've turned their internet off, thrown their TVs out. I know couples who've chosen to abstain until they were able to get married. I know those who are same-sex attracted who choose to abstain because they're more concerned about being surrendered to Christ than a deceitful, sinful pleasure of this world. 
What is it you need to do in your life? Not just in sexual morality, but in our greed, in our attitude, in our speech. It's going to keep pointing back to knowing Christ, spending time with Him. If you feel helpless in any of this, choose Christ and choose to ask for help. If you are without hope and you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, today, choose Christ. Let me pray for us. And we'll play a song here just to wrap up our time and respond to be reminded of God's mercy for us. And it is so much more than any sin we can ever commit. Father, it's a heavy, heavy topic today. And as we read in Psalm 51, Lord, you desire to and have the ability to create in us a clean heart. And God, your desire from us is not, not a pull our bootstraps up mentality, but a humble spirit and a contrite heart. You will never despise us if we come to you with that. So Lord, whether we already know you as our Lord and Savior or God, our hearts are opening up to you for the first time that we would come before you in that manner, that you created us, you love us, you have given us directives and asked us to kill the things of our earthly nature, to dispose of them forevermore. Not to impose rules and judgment on us, not so that you can look down and destroy us, but to save us. These things are so that we might know you better and follow you more wholly. I'm humbled yet again, Lord, of your love and your mercy for me and my life when I fail in many of these areas, knowing that you do so for each person here. So, Father, let us walk out here into this meal with glad, humble hearts of your love and your grace for us, your desire to save us, to make us whole and new. That you forgive us. God, that we would respond. We would respond in doing whatever it takes to follow you the way that you desire. And it will be only by your grace and your help that we do.